Hey, how's it going, everybody? Had enough of this lockdown yet? I know, I know, there's nothing funny about it, and you're running out of ideas. Well, at least you have me to keep you entertained for a little while. I'm Hal in Philly, and this is my podcast. Welcome to it. In case you forgot, it's called... If you listened to the last episode, my conversation with Ben Vaughn, part one, then you know I ended it with kind of a cliffhanger. Ben was telling me that his father would not allow him to have a guitar in the house if he couldn't get his grades up in school. Well, Ben had a hard time getting better grades, instead choosing to become a juvenile delinquent, a rebel with an axe to grind, but he couldn't bring his axe home with him. So in part two, Ben goes on to tell us how he got around the Vaughn House rules. I wasn't even allowed to play guitar or even you know, play music because my grades were bad. You know, I was purposely a juvenile delinquent. I was um, attracted to that and became that, and which meant my grades went down. And my dad said, you're not allowed to have a guitar unless your grades go up, and I did not get my grades up. So I learned how to play guitar at Corvettes at the Black Rose Pike Shopping Center. They had a row of Silvertone guitars up there by where the TV sets were. The saleswoman who ran that department thought that me and my friend were cute, so she would let us play guitars every day after school, and we would get the songbooks out, Beatles songbook, you know. Motown you were entertaining customers at Corvettes? Well, we weren't entertaining customers. We were like facing each other and learning how to play. Occasionally, we would draw a crowd. I was going to say, at some but, point, you must have gotten good enough to where you actually were entertaining the customers there. Well, yeah. I mean, you learn, you know, if you're learning how to play in public, I guess there's some kind of quick decision making that you acquire, uh, you know, skills that you acquire to hold people if they're drawn in. Right. I never thought about that. I never thought about that until you mentioned it. But yeah, it might be where my ability to entertain started. I never thought of it that. And and the woman, we had to entertain her. Her name was Grace. I remember her very well. I can see her face right now. And she would actually give us promo records. If, if anything came in that it was promo, she would just give it to us. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. She was like like a very influential person, uh, her patience with us, and she was just charmed by our passion for music. It was like my friend Fitz and I, he wanted to learn how to play lead guitar, and he so he taught me how to play rhythm guitar so he could practice lead over me playing rhythm. And we would go to Corvettes every day and bang on these silver tone guitars and learn all these songs. Where there's a will, there's a way. I was going to play music no matter what, and I didn't really have anything that got in my way was the enemy, really. you know. I was going to be involved in music or play it, because I knew very early on it's the only thing my attention span was good for, because I can pay attention to music for hours. I can go days without sleep if the music is good. you know. It's always been obvious to me that, that I need to be... Yeah, well, back like when I lived in Van Nuys, I had one of, after uh, I broke up with my girlfriend and I had this extra room, I turned out in, like in a little home studio and nothing ever much came out of there. But I do know that that feeling of like you forget to eat, you forget to sleep, hours go by 
and you're still sitting there with the headphones at four in the morning. Yep, I'm doing that right now. Actually, I'm I'm recording a one man band record right now due to COVID. I had time booked at a um, studio in LA, and I had musicians picked out, and I you know I wrote a, a like ten new songs, and I was going to go in and cut a new album, and the studio shut down. The musicians all sequestered themselves, so I started recording in the Relay Shack. Very crude, you know, no no machines, no sequencers, no uh, looping or anything. I'm playing all the instruments myself, and I'm doing it. But you couldn't find another Rambler? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I still have that Rambler, actually. Did you really? Yeah, I I put a video on, you can find it on Facebook, where I revisit the studio after 20 years. Oh, okay. And, uh, I will look for that for sure. Yeah, you'll see why I'm not recording in it now. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you know, when I, I don't know if you know this, but I have a, you know, a, an accompanying website to the podcast. So I put links to anything I talk about there. So if you're listening, go to talesoftheroadwarriors.com slash Ben hyphen Vaughn, and uh, there'll be the show notes there, and you'll be able to find all, all links to all well, this stuff. Ben hyphen Vaughn, I might change my name to that from this point on. I like that. I always <laughs> or, wanted a middle something in the middle. <laughs> well, maybe, or change it to dash, Ben dash Vaughn. I like the I like the two syllables, hyphen. It's nice. Ben hyphen Vaughn. Oh, okay, okay. Because I, yeah. you know, I almost changed my name to Cliff today because I was going to tell you that compared to you, like your Wikipedia when it comes to rock knowledge, and I'm Cliff Notes. So I was going to say, just call me Cliff. <laughs> anyway, one last thing I got here in my in, in my notes here. Ezra Mohawk uh, says hello. I, I was talking to her yesterday. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, I'm a fan. I met her um, in L.A. Uh, probably, man, 15 years ago. Yeah, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a fan from way back. Yeah, Ezra's a total diva, but uh, <clears throat> in a good way. I, I have this story. I told her because she didn't remember, but... I was in Lytton's at 3 o'clock in the morning, maybe 1971, maybe. Uh, me and my friend DJ were in Lytton's, and there was this redneck guy picking on a young black guy who was sitting by himself. And this young girl jumps out of her seat with a ketchup bottle, like she was going to smash it against the furniture and you know make jagged edges and cut this guy's throat if he didn't leave this poor little black kid alone. And me and DJ saw this from across the room. So we jumped into the seat that she abandoned just so this guy would see that she was not facing him alone. But I'll never forget, like, the balls on this girl. And that was her? It was her, yeah. After it was all over and the the rednecks (laughs) left, uh, we introduced ourselves. She goes, I'm Ezra Mohawk, and, uh, you know, I'm a songwriter, and I live in L.A., and I'm down here visiting my folks. But... uh, what a night but wow. that's that stayed in my head all these years so i finally got to recount that with her among Did other she remember things. that she didn't but she she says that sounds like me <laughs> 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 yeah yeah <laughs> so, anyway uh, do you play do you have you played any s for mohawk on your show i haven't heard any I think I did uh, a couple years ago, and it might have been the Sandy Hervitz album, the first album she put right. out on Zappa's label. Yeah, Philadelphia, I tell you, Philadelphia has um, some incredible talent that has come out of Philadelphia through the years. Do you remember the band Good God? Good God? Yeah, they were like a an instrumental band. No. Kind of like, they almost like, you know, 
Mahavishnu kind of thing, but uh, but more but easier to easier to get into, you know, like less uh, less precious, you right. know. Yeah, Cotton Kent played uh, keyboards. He he ended up doing a lot of Philly international stuff, and they were really cool. I I used to see them all the time. Mandrake Memorial. Yeah, I remember. Uh, Man- do you remember Pegasus? Do, do, do you know Mitch Schechter by any chance? No, I know that name. He's a though. drummer. He was and, a drummer in Hey Little Cobra. I'm trying to think of the name of the band. Uh, wow, that wasn't Ronnie and the Daytonas, but it was close to that. Uh, something like that, right? Yeah, Hey Little Cobra. They had the, they they had like a surf sound. They did like a lot of Beach Boys kind of stuff. The rip chords. Oh, rip chords. That's it. Yeah. So Mitch was yeah, in the, the rip, rip chords, and he or still is in the mm-hmm. rip chords, and but he was in a group called Pegasus in Philly back in the day. I remember Pegasus. I don't know if I ever heard them, but I remember seeing their name on posters. Yeah. How about uh, Dead Cheese? Does that uh, ring a bell? Uh, Dead Cheese? No. That's <laughs> that's like that's a Philly name if I ever heard of one. Though. What do you want to call yourself? Uh, Dead Cheese. Oh, well, I love were, it. I mean, of course, they were influenced by the Grateful Dead. Uh, I don't, Dead Cheese. I don't remember where the cheese part came from, but. Uh, our, their slogan was a good cheese is a dead cheese ah. <laughs> oh man and we used yeah. to have block parties like I was one of the neighbors so I used to go over there on my bicycle and they'd have block parties behind the drummer's house and I would dress up as Dr. Shock and it was wow. crazy times the 70s in Philadelphia crazy crazy time yeah it was it was uh, a really great scene you know I drank it all, all in. You know, I was, I'm, you know, I was a little younger than the people who were doing it. I was always about five years younger than most people. You know, uh, like a lot of the people that I went to see play were like five years older than me. You know, or maybe even older than that. And um, so I was like the mascot. Like I would hang around, you know, the hippie scene in Philly, and they thought I was funny. Down on Sansom Street. Yeah, 20th and Sampson. I was hanging around there all the time, Rittenhouse Square. There was an underground newspaper called The Plain Dealer. Uh-huh. A really radical, uh, really radical newspaper. And um, I went down to their office and volunteered to distribute the paper. It was a free paper. And this is like in 1970, the summer of 1970. And I went around to all the head shops and record stores and groovy places and dropped off stacks of the plain dealer. Oh, I'm sure it's in your FBI dossier. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But it was crazy. It was crazy because the scene was so vibrant back then. I remember there were these uh, two hippie girls who wanted me to go to Puerto Rico with them. Not Puerto Rico, I'm sorry, Cuba for the the sugarcane harvest. But Uh they did every year. These these Philadelphia communists would... um, go as a group to help with the sugarcane harvest. They became part of the, what's it called, the Vencemeros Brigade, Vencemeros Brigade, whatever it was called. You can look it up. It's still going on, actually. Americans going down to Cuba and working in the fields to help with the sugarcane harvest to keep uh, the communist regime going, you know. Wow. Uh, And I remember it being a very crazy time. It was just... um, That is hardcore. yeah, and I was really young, you know, I was like 13 and, and uh, just or 14, 15 years old mm-hmm. and hanging around with these hippies. It was, uh, it almost seems like a dream, like it almost didn't happen, but it really did. Well, it's it funny you say that because, you know, a lot of, when I listen yeah. to your show, The Many Moods of Ben Vaughn, 
that's exactly the feeling I get about some of the songs you play. Like, I, I remember hearing them, I'm like, I remember that, but it's like, did that song really exist? And then you play it, I'm like, it really existed, because Ben Vaughn just played that's, it. That's exactly right. There are some songs that you think you might have actually conjured up out of your own imagination, and they never did exist. And then when you're proven, when it's proven that they do exist, and they sound exactly like you remember, it's kind of scary. <laughs> yeah, really. With the Vox or Farfisa organ combined with the like the vibraphones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I listened to uh, underground radio religiously back in the day, like starting, you know, my father's son on WDAS and the Marconi experiment with uh, with Herman. And I used to record those on my little Akai tape recorder and listen to them over and over again. And I was just fascinated with those DJs and the choices they made and the way they talked. It was really great for me because when, when my voice dropped, like, you know, I guess, what, how old are you, like 15 or 16 when your voice changes? Yeah, something like that. And when I realized that I actually had a baritone, I was the happiest guy in the world because <laughs> I realized I could be a DJ. I could be an FM DJ, and my friends were all like, "Hey, man, you got that FM DJ you got that voice?" FM like, hey. Did you did you smoke cigarettes? Oh yeah, sure. I actually yeah. check this out. I was a huge fan of the Love and Spoonful, and um, Johnny Carson interviewed. This was after they broke up, and then uh, JB Sebastian was doing his solo career. He was on Johnny Carson, and this was still back when you could smoke on the show if you were his guest. And John, uh, JB Sebastian lit up a cigarette. And that's when I decided to start smoking because I wanted that kind of cool, raspy voice like his. <laughs> oh, what a bad, what a bad influence! I know he'd hate me for saying that, but <laughs> eventually, emphysema will make it harder to play harmonica. <laughs> by the way, you know. Well, I quit. I quit smoking when I turned fifty, as like as a gift to myself. Yeah, I quit too. I quit too when I was about thirty. Once it gets its hooks in you, it it is hard to to quit that, but. Yeah, those bad choices make sense when you're younger, you know. And then as you as you stay alive, which is always a surprise, was a surprise to me. I'm like, oh, I'm still alive, and I'm in my 30s. Maybe I ought to think about my health now, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and because uh, I might live a long time, and I want to live a long. I want to be active, and I want to be. Uh, I want to. I want a good life, you know. I want to have a good life. I don't want to be struggling with any. Yeah, um, no, so, I know, I, I know, I'd be dead by now if I didn't quit smoking. There's no question in my mind. Anybody out there still smoking? Let me tell you, you got to stop. You don't know what you're missing. Yeah, and and you eventually will not miss it that much. You know, no, and food while. tastes good again too. Yeah, yeah, and your clothes smell better, and you're not like a criminal because now if you smoke, boy, you know, you got to go off to some corner or when they first passed the law in L.A. and I came back to Philly to visit my parents. I forget which airport we stopped at, maybe Dallas. And they had a glass. It looked like people were like in a fishbowl. But you had to yes, go in this yes. one room that was just one big cloud of smoke in there. You know, I was one of the people in that room. But when I passed by on the way to, to the terminal, passing that room, looking at the people inside, I think that's when I first started thinking how strange smoking it really is when i saw people just willing to stand in there isolated from the rest of society because they're addicted to that stuff yeah or you see an office worker you know in front of a building on a 15 degree freezing day 
Yep, and out or like two or three of them, and outside the door is like twenty butts, just you know, just laying on the yeah, ground. Yeah, that that you're really willing to stand in in terrible weather, you know, for the length of that cigarette. Yeah, that's that's when it became just inconvenient to be a smoker. You know, forget about the health problems and everything associated with it, and the other reasons why you probably don't want to smoke. Just the fact that that's where you are in society from this point on makes it unattractive, you know. Yeah, now this has got to be right where I add that little sound effect of, like, NBC, <laughs> the more you know. <laughs> <laughs> so you're back in Philly now. You, li- you you live in Philly now. I'm in Norristown, just outside of Philly. Nothing to brag about, though. It's not Norristown. Like, it's not like Philly. Yeah, yeah. Norristown is a suburb. It's a little... Oh, I, yeah, I know where it is. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm from the area. They're famous for yeah, the Zep, which is sort of like a hoagie, but without lettuce. They're... <laughs> They're not that good. <laughs> if I had any oh. fans in Norristown, I don't anymore because yeah, I just dissed the Zep. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the pride and joy of that of that town. <laughs> it's like all onions. No matter what protein you get on it, all you really taste is the onions. Because well, Philly is an amazing place. Delaware Valley is an amazing place. I'm, I I can't imagine growing up anywhere else. You know. I'm, out here in the middle of the desert now, you know, uh, I live a completely different, I'm in a completely different environment than I grew up in. But, man, yeah, I listen to the Geeter on uh, WXPN every Saturday on my computer. And right. the minute I hear him talk and I hear the music, I'm transported. I, you know, I can actually smell the bus exhaust on Market Street. It's just like, it's like I am there. And I that music and the culture of the Delaware Valley are so rich and, and it's so soulful. I can't imagine coming from anywhere else. I mean, it, it, it really is my default of who I am musically and culturally. It always, even though I haven't lived there for 25 years, I am such a product of the Delaware Valley that it's, um, you know, it can't be scrubbed it can't be erased. It's uh Oh, believe me, I get it. And I, I was never I I'm more of a California boy than you are, but you're there and I'm here. I can't imagine how that happened. You're in Santa Monica, right? Uh well no, I'm out in a in the desert. Oh really? Uh, what a, part? In the Mojave Desert. I have uh, an apartment in Santa Monica as well that uh, I'm hanging on to because it's rent controlled and you never get rid of a rent controlled apartment in LA. No, hell no. <laughs> yeah. You hang on to it, you have friends stay there, whatever you gotta do to hang on to it, you know. Uh, uh, believe but no, me, I know. I used to um, I used to play. I, used to, I was a bartender at the Blue Lagoon Saloon in Marina Del Rey. I, I don't know. Oh, if I remember were... that place. I remember that place. Oh, okay. Maybe we met. I don't know, but I used to play poker with uh, a Jimmy, a guy named Jimmy Anger. He was the keyboard player for Billy and the Beaters, and he used to have these poker games until th- four or five in the morning when the sun comes up. And in uh, that big, that big tall building out at the at the end of Ocean Park Boulevard. Mm-hmm. It was a big high rise, and he lived there. So I used to go there, overlooking the ocean. I, I that's what I when I think about Santa Monica. That's what I think about that when the sun's coming. Well, Santa up. Monica, I love Santa Monica. It's um, it's changing. You know, a lot of uh, new buildings are going up, and uh, kind of people who live in Santa Monica is changing. Uh, but I still, you know, my my apartment is in the Ocean Park neighborhood. You know, about three blocks south of Pico. Right. So I'm right there by by the beach, you know, and um, it still feels, 
funky and still feels uh, like a neighborhood where where my apartment is but on the other side of interstate 10 it's all like brand new construction and fancy schmancy stuff you know which was really really like taking over up until the the virus hit and now you know toward, you know the Santa Monica Pier is closed it's very weird in Santa Monica right now because this is the first summer without tourism oh yeah it's got to be like like a an apocalyptic movie well actually where you are in the mojave must be like an apocalyptic movie but it always was right yeah <laughs> so know, that no didn't difference. change that much but when santa monica turns into the mojave we're in trouble yeah yeah like like i i i sought out the desert um you know i'm not past 29 palms i'm way out there you can't see my nearest neighbor and electricity ends about a mile after my my dirt road it ends for like 80 miles until you get into Arizona. And uh, I sought that out on purpose because it's it's a life I always wanted. You know, I spend you live most alone? of my time. Are you married? Yeah. Do you have a dog? Uh, no, no, no. I spend I spend my time alone. I'm, I'm very, uh, a very private person. and um, not, not even an iguana or something? Well, I have two cats. Oh, okay. Cats are good. And, and I have a love life, but not married or anything. The feeling out there is no different than it was before the virus. I mean, it has not changed at all because there are no people around anyway. Right. The only time I see people is when I go into town to go to the supermarket. And that's always how it's been. And when I when I want socializing, I come to Santa Monica and spend a week or two in Santa Monica. And then uh, when I've had enough of that, I go back out into isolation. Well, and I have so to admit, my, my lifestyle hasn't changed all that much either for the same similar mm. reason. I live in the in a in a basement apartment of a house. There's three roommates upstairs, but I never see them because I have my my own entrance to this place, and it's nice and cool down here. Uh, am I talking to to uh, Joe Biden right now? <laughs> you could be. You're going to vote for me? Are you, are you in your basement? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I, you know. Good. Uh, based on this conversation, you have my vote. Oh, good. Thanks. <laughs> that means a lot coming from you. Let me tell you. Yeah, yeah, you're, you know, I approve I approve of this message. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got to tell you, Ben, I'm I'm really glad that Ken Queter introduced us and made this possible. And uh Kenny, if you're listening, thanks, man. Well, Ken's a genius. Uh he really is um a musical genius or something uh incredibly, well, for one thing. Not just a musical genius, he's like a, a um he's a social genius. Yeah, and he's also like a, a thinker, you know, like a, an original thinker. He is completely singular. There's only one Ken Queter. And there's a lot going on in that one guy, you know. So much going on in that one guy. You feel like you're with a group of people, you know. <laughs> Do you ever Have you ever watched any of his live feeds? He, you know, he, he goes on live quite a bit. I, I have, I have, and uh, they are conceptual and strange and great. The, the thing he and, does with like the puppets and the and the yeah, like I remember one time I was on, I was on Facebook and this is a this is classic Kenny, you know. I'm on Facebook and I'm just kind of scrolling down. And all of a sudden, I see a hand with like um, <laughs> uh, like like a lobster claw going at the camera. And I'm going, oh, that's got to be Queter. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even have to. 
I didn't even have to stop and check. I knew, oh, Queter's at it again. You know, exactly. that's got to be him. Nobody else's feed <laughs> looks like his, so you don't have to read the name. You just know that's Queter. You start that's to recognize Queter. the background now. Yeah, that's Queter doing something weird. <laughs> <laughs> but he's got our attention, you know, and he's always been really great at that. He, uh, And again, he couldn't come from anywhere but the Delaware Valley. You know, it's that same thing, like the Geeter. There's this The Geeter and energy. the Queter. The the the, the queeter with the heater. <laughs> you don't don't give queeter a gun, by the way. <laughs> okay. Do not do that. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, uh, just a just a you know musical genius and and also just a wow, just a fantastic brain that guy has and his energy and his. Uh, I love queeter. Queeter's amazing. Me Truly too. Amazing. He, he found an instant fan in me as soon as we. Got done talking. I just said, I'm like, this guy, I hope I see him again. So I just went yeah. out of my way to, uh, you know, see him when I could try to support him if he was playing somewhere. Well, you know, you're lucky. The people in Philadelphia are very lucky and because you have Queter consistently out there. Anytime you want, you know, you can go see him and plug into that and, and, and come away energized. And you have the Geeter out there every night and on the radio doing the same thing there's some real consistent things going on in, in philly that that you know are very dependable the philadelphia music lovers are a very loyal bunch you know and i discovered that with my own career but but the loyalty that people have toward the geeter and the loyalty that people have toward queeter is something that is really a definitive philadelphia area thing yeah, and I have um, a feeling too, Bennett. The Philadelphia musical DNA is probably transferred to the generation that's coming up behind us. And I, I'm, I actually want to explore that in in my podcast and find some of these, like the next Queeter and the next, you know. Well, that's really true. That's really true because young people they know a lot of records because of, of the Geeter. You know, uh, not just people, you know, older people, but young people too. They know the stomp by Billy Comstock, or they know because their mom does the line dances with the Geeters, so they grow up with it. You right. know, but then the next the generation gram- of, of Geeters are also going to be able to freestyle and rap as well on top of the DJing. Yeah, because and, it, and, it, it, and it the, evolves. And the Queeter thing too is you know because of him playing at Smokey Joe's for a hundred years, you right. know, in West Philly, college age kids that continually discover him and then they move on but they have queeter in their wheelhouse now you know yeah. uh it's 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 a great thing it's a great thing and just the uh, perseverance of philly performers you know frankie avalon's still at it you know bobby rydell still does gigs you know charlie gracie there's the one i mean didn't he just 80. pass away no no he's, no no he's still around Oh yeah, he's like eighty-two or eighty-three. I played, a, I backed him up, uh, but Charlie Gracie, um, he's probably eighty-three now. We played a show at Johnny Brenda's. It was the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Had this, um, I don't know what you call it, like a a field trip or something, where they brought all these people in from around the country to Philly to have a seminar on Philly music and everything. And it, and that night. We played at Johnny Brenda's, my band, and we brought up Charlie from the Soul Survivors to sing Expressway, and we brought up Charlie Gracie. Charlie was 81 or 82. This is probably two he years ago. Born, I see here. He's born in 1936, and he's still with us. 
still with us, and he's still in fantastic performing. He never stopped performing. Now, I don't know of any other city where you have Charlie Gracie, Ken Queter, and a Geeter with the Heater still out there every night. It's like a real, like, dependable thing, and, and it has not stopped. This has been going on for 40 or some 50 years, you know. In the Geeter's case, 60 years, and in Charlie Gracie's case, more than that. Yeah, and he started performing when he was like 12. He made his first record when he was 14, you know. And he's only ever done that for a living all these years. It's an incredible thing. Yeah, it is incredible. So people in Philly are really lucky. They're really lucky because it's there. You can leave your house and plug into the real thing. The real thing, not, you know, a recreation of it or the next generation of it. The actual first generation version of it is out there. Yeah, and I'm, I'm like, looking forward to the to when this whole virus thing goes away, so we can all go out and you know discover Phil, the Philadelphia music scene once again. Yeah, me too, man. Uh, the sooner the better. I really miss going out to hear live music, and I miss being on stage. Uh, well, hopefully, I'll get to see you uh, at some point. Play again. I uh, will play again. It will happen. But and out and be, out here in and the it will be in Philly. Area. Yeah. Oh yeah, maybe yeah. you and Kenny all in the same room at the same time. Yeah, the last gig I did in Philly was with Kenny. We played at the World Cafe Live. Uh, yeah, I, I, I had intended to go, but I had a gig myself. You know, I have a song. Uh, it's called "All My Friends Are Musicians" with a gig on the same night, <laughs> it's, <laughs> and it's basically about showing up to your gig, but all the seats are empty except for where your mom is. Well, I remember when they first started saying. No gatherings allowed, you know, over 50 people, right? Uh-huh. And my friends were like, well, I can still do gigs because I, st- I don't draw, you know, more than 50 people. And then they said, no gatherings of more than 20. And my friends were like, oh, I can still do gigs. I don't draw more than 20. And then it was like 10. I was like, well, I can still do gigs. <laughs> 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 it was a very sad commentary. And now but, um, it's, you can still do gigs, but you're only allowed five and a half to be t- six feet apart. Yeah. Yeah, well, Kenny's fine because he can play solo. He's you know? still doing them. He's playing like outdoor gigs. He he, he always finds a way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nothing well, will stop it, Kenny ever. Yeah, he's got to do it. He's got to do it. And Nagita's trying to figure it out, too, you know. It's, uh, it's tough for performers all over. Performers are really hurting right now because not just the money. Well, listen, i got to run because I'm going to take my car into town to get fixed. It's making a funny noise, so right, I'm well, going to take uh, it in. Go save the Rambler, man, and it's great talking to you. Thanks so much for uh, for doing this. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's been very enjoyable. Same here. Take care, Ben. All right, well, that was great. That was Ben Vaughn. That was me, Hal, and Philly talking with ben vaughn the one the only the man the myth the legend (laughs) i I have to apologize though i didn't know we were going to talk so much about cigarettes sorry all you nicotine addicts out there i swore i'd never be that guy that gets all preachy about smoking but i i did a little bit all right so the uh i have a correction the the url for this episode is not TalesOfTheRoadWarriors.com slash Ben hyphen Vaughn. It's TalesOfTheRoadWarriors.com slash Ben hyphen Vaughn 
hyphen part hyphen two, the number two. Oh, and another thing I should mention, I found the reference to the Venceremos Brigade. So there will be a link to their page on the show notes. It was very, it's very interesting. I definitely learned something new today. Before I go, I want to remind you, Tales of the Road Warriors is a one-man show. If you like what I'm doing, I hope you'll participate by leaving a comment on the website or the Tales of the Road Warriors Facebook group or contribute to the tip jar. There are links on the website, so feel free to abuse those links with your contributions. Remember, it's never mandatory, but always appreciated. You can also help by purchasing the Tales of the Road Warriors coffee mug or the I'm Going for a Drive travel mug from my friends at Zazzle. You'll see the merch on the website too. Don't forget, the URL to this episode is talesoftheroadwarriors.com slash ben hyphen vaughn hyphen part hyphen two. If this is all too much for you to remember, just get in your car and follow me. Yeah, I'm going for a drive. Yeah, I'm going for a drive.